My name's uh, Jono. I'm the pastor here at, um, at Christ Sanctuary. And could I ask you to please turn with me uh, or scroll with me on your phone to uh, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews uh, chapter 1. And if you are a, uh, a visiting uh, today and we are right at the start of our Hebrews series. Right at the start. It's a very good time to join, uh, just so you know. Um, and we're in uh, Hebrews chapter 1 in the first few verses. Uh, this will be the third uh, message in the series. And what we're doing today and what we're looking at is a what would some would call a doctrinal sermon. Uh, but it is, is so foundational that it is imminently practical. And the truth that we're looking at, if we could summarize it, is that Jesus is the eternal Word of God. This is looking at the pre-existence of Christ. Part of the context of Hebrews and why we've called the series Jesus is Better is because uh, these, the audience, these people, are being tempted back into parts of the Old Covenant uh, understanding of Judaism. They're looking for a religion that they can see, that they can smell, that they can touch. They can't see Jesus Christ. He has ascended, he's risen from the grave, he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he can't be seen. And they're wondering, is this Jesus really better than what we had? We no longer see this lamb being sacrificed in the temple. Is this really better? And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, once you come to know Jesus, you'll never find anything better. We can come to know Jesus better, but there's nothing better than Jesus Christ. We never move on from Him. We never go beyond Christ. And so the question that the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1 uh, grapples with is, who is Jesus Christ? That sets these foundational truths up. So, who is Jesus Christ? Let us Read together, we're using the ESV, the English Standard Version, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. There are seven parts in those four verses, a really 
big foundational truth, and we're going to look at four of them today. We've already looked at three. The first week, we looked at Christ as prophet. Jesus is the, the final word of God. He is better than all the Old Testament prophets, Moses being the chief one. Jesus Christ is the, the culmination of what God is saying to humanity. There is no one greater than Christ. Islam, for example, the Muslims believe Jesus was a prophet sent from God. But Muhammad is greater. This text is saying, no, Jesus is greater. And then at the end of, uh, in the end of uh, verse 3, we saw on Easter weekend, it says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ is also the great priest who brings people to God. And he sits down at the majesty on high, which means he is king. And therefore, we get the familiar term you might have heard around the church. Christ is prophet, priest, and king. The book we are looking at today is the four in the middle. Christ is, first of all, the heir of all things. We see that there in verse 2, second part of verse 2, whom he appointed the heir of all things. There are two words that Scripture uses to, to talk about Christ being the heir. He's talked about as the heir, and also he is called the firstborn. The firstborn son. Places like Colossians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 4 speak of Christ as firstborn. And when we hear firstborn, we think firstborn created. He's a created being. The reality is the phrase firstborn is not intending to communicate that Christ is a created being. Very much this idea that he is the heir in days gone by and in some places around the world today, the firstborn son inherits everything. If that triggers you as misogynistic, take it up with them, not me, okay? We need to think inherit. The firstborn son inherits everything that belongs to the father. Does that make sense? He is the heir of all things. This is the, just the truth that really is eminently important. It's so practical, so deep. If we think about inheritance, when do you get your inheritance? When the father dies, right? If Christ is the heir of all things... Ah, heads are nodding. God the Father does not die. It's interesting. He is the heir of all things, but he's the heir of all things, but the Father does not die. When you're the heir of all things, it's saying you hold a, a divine position 
we know from Scripture that all things exist for the glory of God. And if you are the heir of all things and God does not die, this is simply saying that you are God. The heir of all things is God. This is a clear reference as well to to Psalm chapter 2. You can read this in your own time. In verses 7 and 8 of Psalm chapter 2, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. The son that is being talked about here, the second member of the Trinity in Hebrews chapter 1, is the same son referenced in Psalm chapter 2 who inherits everything. Everything. Not just the earth and all that is in it. Everything. The whole universe. Before the foundation of the world, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, determined to create. They determined to save a fallen creation. They knew all things. And Isaiah 53, that wonderful text that says in verse 12, Therefore I will divide him, that's talking to Christ, the suffering servant, a portion with the many, and I shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. My righteous one will make many to be accounted righteous and shall bear their iniquities. Simply put, Christ inherits all things and he inherits the new creation as well, which he has purchased with his blood upon the cross. Everything goes to him. This understanding of the heir, the firstborn, is, is it's crucial. When we think son, I'm a lot bigger than my four-year-old son. When we think son, we think big God, little God. Not like that. Not like that at all. The reality is that everything that belongs to the Father also belongs to the Son. And that means there is nothing left unless he determines to share it. These are deep truths that we're peering into. Maybe you've uh, tried to buy a a birthday present or an anniversary gift, and, and you've said something like, what do you get the person who has everything, right? You said that yourself, you've thought that. What do you get the person who has had everything and you inevitably buy them chocolate or something like that because... They're they're rich and they've got lots of stuff and they don't need anything. Well, the reality is we can say the same sort of thing about Jesus Christ. What do you get the person who has everything? And the answer is, there's nothing left to give him because he owns it all himself. That's huge. There's literally nothing left to give. That's why Romans chapter 12 verse 2 tells us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. 
He created us. He already purchased us with His blood. The simple reality is when we say, Lord, I serve you. I will live for you. I will seek to love you. I will seek to to be a Christian until I go home to heaven. We're simply, when we say that, we're simply acknowledging that we already belong to Christ, that our lives and everything we have is already His, and we're saying, I'm getting with your will. We're not, bargain, we're not bargaining with Christ. You don't bargain with Christ. He already has everything. We're saying, I'm getting with the program now. I will live under your Lordship. 1 commentator says if Christ is the heir of all good things then we must be in Christ to receive an inheritance. I'll say that again. If Christ is the heir of all good things then we must be in Christ to receive an inheritance. Salvation from start to finish every blessing that we receive comes because Jesus Christ determines to give it. Everything belongs to Him. Everything is for Him. If you receive anything good from God, it is because Christ has determined to share. And the Christian is united by faith, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, united with Christ, in union with Christ. Our sins are covered We receive His righteousness. Everything we have is given by Him. He is the heir of all things. I read a commentary, and it's coming back to me now. And it says, We are in and of ourselves destitute and poor. We have nothing. But Christ as the heir of all things gives us wonderful blessings. This is why salvation is a a free gift. It has to be. Think about it. It has to be. How can you earn how can you earn your way into union with Christ? You can't. You can only receive from Him. Everything we have has to be received by Him. It has to be given by Him. He holds all the cards, and if we receive any, it's because He has given them to us. Wonderful, wonderful truth. What a wonderful polemic against works righteousness. You know, this idea that we can earn our way into God's good books. How do you earn your way? What can you possibly pay if the infinitely valuable one paid all himself. He purchases salvation, not us. So Christ is the heir of all things. That's the first one. He is, secondly, the creator. End of verse 2. Through whom also he created the world. We talk a lot, and I talk a lot, from this pulpit about Jesus Christ in redemptive history. 
about how from Genesis 3.15 there would be the seed of a woman who came to crush the serpent's head, the Messiah King who came to save the fallen people, and how the book of Genesis from beginning to Revelation at the end, the whole story of redemptive history is all about Christ. This is talking about outside of redemptive history. This is talking about the pre-existent son. What was Jesus doing? What was the son doing before Christmas, before this little baby was born to Mary and Joseph and lived and died on a cross and, and rose again? What was he doing? He was existing as God for all eternity. And he created, we're told, all things. He creates by the the word of his power. Jesus Christ is the, the sole cause of creation. The Son. If there's anything in this world, it's because Jesus Christ put it there. That's a big truth. Two really big themes in the Old Testament. One is in Psalm 2. The royal son, the king who inherits all things. And then in Proverbs, Proverbs 8. The divine wisdom, which is the agent of creation, who speaks creation and everything that there is into existence. What this is telling us is that the royal son, the king, the rightful king, is also the divine wisdom of God who creates all things. And we're told, we're shown in verse 3, in the start of verse 4, that the royal son is also the eternal king, and he is also the eternal priest. This is building an immense, big picture of Christ. I don't need an excuse to, to read this parallel text. I want to I want to read Colossians one from fifteen to twenty. Because it, it, it matches up with what it's saying here. It says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in everything he must be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. I'm not going to apologize. This is a polemic. This is a argument. This is meant to correct, to offend if necessary, and to write our understanding and the understanding of the original audience about who Christ is. The Jehovah's Witnesses do violence to this text. 
in Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1. And in Colossians 1, they misunderstand what firstborn is, and so they make Jesus the first created thing. 53% of Americans believe Jesus Christ was the first created person. Heresy. And so what the Jehovah's Witnesses do with Colossians 1 is they say he is the firstborn of all creation, and then they say, and by him all other things were created. Do we understand that? They say, God the Father created Jesus, and then Jesus created everything else. Which is quite, well, it's not there grammatically. It doesn't make sense logically. And it's just wrong. This is saying he is the one who is pre-existent. Why is there anything in this world? For there to be a creation, there needs to be a creator. And what this text is saying is that creator is Christ. And it's necessary that the creator not be created himself. Jesus Christ is the prime mover, the dynamic agent who causes the creation. The next text in verse 3 of Hebrews 1 doesn't allow the Son to be part of creation at all either. It says He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. What this is saying, what this is saying, is this is it. This is who he is. He is the exact imprint. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And some people try to wriggle out of this and they say it's like uh, God is the light and Jesus Christ is some of the rays of light that are emanating off him. Silly. It's saying he is God. He's the exact imprint. My son is not an exact imprint of me. We're different. We look different. Jesus Christ, the son, is, is not some shadowy image. He's not a painting. He is not a sort of like God. He is God. If human beings are created in the image of God, Jesus Christ is the image of God. Qualitatively different. Jesus Christ is different to the Father. He is of the same essence. There is one God in three persons, the early church decided, of the same essence. The Father is not the Son. The Father and the Son are not the Spirit. But the Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. Though different, yet the same being. What a divine mystery. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. But they are all God together. And if one is removed, there is no God undivided, yet different. 
by claiming that Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and its exact imprint, the writer of Hebrews is not just saying that Jesus Christ reveals God, but he is essentially identical. His nature is the same as God. He is a divine being. They are together like this and cannot be separated. He is the heir of all things. He is the creator of all things. He is the exact image of God. And lastly, we are told he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What this means is, if something is true, if a fact is a fact, if gravity causes this Bible to fall out of my hands, it is so because Christ is upholding and sustaining the universe. If anything is, it is because Jesus made it that way. Christ is the providential sustainer and upholder of the world. The language of Colossians 1, in him all things hold together. If Christ sees to uphold the word by the world by the word of his power, it's not only that the sun would stop shining and there would be no rain and we'd stop living. Everything would cease to exist. It is ascribing that amount of power to him. Every good Hebrew hearing these words knows exactly what this is saying. The heir of all things the creator of all things, the exact image and the upholder and sustainer of the universe. He's piling these things up and he's trying to convince us exactly who Jesus is. And so therefore we must say, after the incarnation, this side of the cross, are we truly saying that that Jewish carpenter who grew up in poverty, never owned, owned a home, who died on a cross, that he is Lord of all? Yes. It sort of summarizes everything exists for Jesus. He's the agent of creation, creation. And if he's the heir and the creator, he is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Who's that talking about? Christ. And everything continues because he speaks to uphold it. I want to give two points of application to close. Two points. People say doctrinal sermons and doctrinal teaching is not practical. We need to get away from that understanding. First one. We must deeply know and believe that you cannot have Christianity if Jesus is not God. We're going to flesh this out more over the coming weeks as we get into chapter 2. This has always been an offense of truth. Always been an offense of truth. If you look at our church's uh, statement of faith on our website, 
We have 11 articles of faith, but at the beginning we say we hold to the Apostles, the Nicene, and the Athanasian creeds. I would encourage you to read those. They are great. And the reason we have those there and we must hold to them so strongly is because they are a summary of Scripture. They are a summary of the Word of God. They're not replacing the Word of God. They're a summary and they highlight who Jesus is. They're so important. We must believe this. This text is a, is a polemic. It is, it is an argument. It is to provoke. It is here to, to change minds. It is here to correct error. It's contrasting Jesus Christ with almost every other potential agent of salvation. You know that Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam, atheism, agnosticism, modern day Judaism. Every single belief system on the face of the planet has the potential to have something nice to say about Jesus. It's true. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. They make a Jesus in their own image. And it is so easy for us to do. It is one thing to like Jesus Christ, but it is another thing entirely to like Jesus as He says He is. For many of us, we have a Christianity where we are interested in being nice and we don't want to offend anyone and we never want to say something is wrong. But let us be known. Let us remind ourselves. Are we okay in our attempts to not offend anyone? Are we okay with offending the Son? Are we okay with offending the Son? That's okay, just agree to disagree. No, there's no agree to disagree on this. I'm all for being diplomatic. I'm all for being nice. We don't compromise on this. Because everything falls apart. Psalm 2 is a horrifically offensive text as applied to Christ. And the end of Psalm 2, it says, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. The same Christ who created the world, who upholds it by the word of his, word of his power, who is the heir of all things, is also the judge of the living and the dead. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. We must come to Him. He offers salvation, but He says, You must receive Me as I am, as Lord and Savior. If this text is true, then Christianity is of supreme importance. If this is not true and Christ is a created being, there is no Savior. Please give up. 
There is no hope for any of us. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Who cares? So we must deeply believe that Jesus Christ is God. And secondly, we must let this big picture of Jesus shape our understanding of salvation. We must let it shape our understanding of salvation. The people here, the people that this letter of Hebrews is written to, have doubts. They have doubts about salvation. They have doubts about religion. They have doubts. They have spiritual problems. And what the writer of Hebrews does is he points them straight back to Jesus. I want you to have a big, robust, accurate understanding of who Jesus is. If you're dissatisfied with Christianity, if you're dissatisfied with the soul, you need to go right back to the beginning and make sure you know who Christ is. Let's apply this. If we're tempted, and I know each and every one of us is, if we're tempted to find ultimate satisfaction somewhere else, if I just have that thing in my life, if I just have that person in my life, if I just have that relationship, if I just have that much money, if I just have this job, then I will be content and I will be satisfied and I will be fulfilled. We all thought like that? We all thought like that this week, maybe this morning. Maybe you think, oh, there's a better, kinder, more fulfilling religion out there as well. A different belief system. Veganism. I don't know. Do you realize that every possible thing that you could be tempted to find your ultimate satisfaction in, every possible thing is created. Every possible thing is created. And that means that that thing relies on Jesus Christ to just exist. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, You fools, go back to the source. Why trust in that which is created when you can trust in the creator and sustainer and upholder of all things? If we struggle to believe that our sins can be overcome, we need to look to the fact that Jesus Christ is a sufficient Savior because He is a supreme Lord. There's no one greater. If you're looking for it, you will never find it. So therefore, we need to know Him rightly.